What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. Of course, we're talking about the Super Bowl as Championship Sunday netted our two Super Bowl participants in this year's big game. We got the Rams and the Patriots. Both games, especially the Rams game, ending in great controversy. So I'm sure we'll be talking plenty about what happened on Sunday. Uh, So we got that. We got the Baseball Hall of Fame. We finally got the uh, number of players who will be in this class. We got Mariano Rivera, Mike Mussina, Edgar Martinez, and the late Roy Halladay joining, of course, Lee Smith and uh, Harold Baines, who got in uh, last year through through the Veterans Committee. So we'll be talking about that and the progress or lack thereof maybe of guys like Bonds and Roger Clemens uh, and other steroid uh, users. So plenty of Super Bowl, plenty of Hall of Fame. Of course, you're doing who's flames and who's trash. And we have Kendall's court to wrap the show. Uh, joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Kendall, we start this show. Uh, it's a little bit of a, of a, it's, it's a little bit of a sad way to start the show with what happened to Victor Oladipo. We're obviously recording the show Wednesday night. He suffered a serious, serious knee injury. Woj is already calling it a season-ending knee injury. And if you saw his kneecap, it looked like it probably was a season-ending knee injury. He was stretched off the court. This is obviously a devastating blow to the Pacers, a team that I think uh, certainly I think could have been dangerous in the postseason. And even beyond that, just uh, they got so fortunate with uh, 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 trading for a guy like Oladipo. Trade after being really forced to trade away their star Paul George, another guy who suffered a massive leg injury. See this happen to him twice is devastating. See it happen to Victor Oladipo, who by almost every account in the NBA is a great dude, is devastating. It's just very sad, and my prayers are up to him. What do you make of the Oladipo injury? Yeah, um, it really does shake up the East. Obviously, he said, uh, you know, you uh, have to really, you know, you know, prayers out to Victor Oladipo. You hope he gets her. He had a full recovery. Um, you know, sucks for Pacers fans having to go through that after, you know, not too long ago going through the whole Paul George injury. Yeah. Um, so, like, obviously, again, it shakes up the Eastern Conference. Uh, I believe they're in third place right now. So, uh, you would think that a team, you think that teams like Philly and Boston will eventually usurp them. Um, and it also stinks for Indiana because LeBron's not in the Eastern Conference anymore. And yeah. last five, six years, that's the guy they've had trouble getting by. And he's finally gone, and they had to, and they were feeling themselves a little bit like we have a shot to win this whole, to win this whole thing, or at least to get win this conference. And I mean, if you're a top three team in your conference, you have a legitimate shot. Yeah, at winning at winning the conference. So they had, they were right to feel that way and to not have Old Depot. You would think that that probably ends that chance and at an awkward time too because because they've been so good. You can't say, oh well, hey, it's time to shut shut it down. Let's tank because you can do that and still might <laughs> you still might make the playoffs and then you're you're the eight seed. You have to keep fighting. Yeah, they're even uh, so good. They're, they're, I mean, they're gonna be one of the top teams. Uh, in the East, still. Yeah, unless they crater, like they'll they'll probably make they'll probably make the playoffs. Um, it's just now, you know, your chances of competing this season have gone away. Um, it, it 
they've gone through this before. So and Old Depot, hard worker. Uh, his his skills have developed so much to where I'm not that worried about his future necessarily. He just has to recover. Um, I saw an interesting tweet that uh, this guy Corey Elliott, who's an Indianapolis reporter, he tweeted in December on December fourth. He tweeted, sent to me, remember, this is December 4th, 2018, sent to me today from us from someone I consider to be trustworthy as far as a source goes. He, meaning this is what the source said, he, Oladipo, needs months to recover without ruining his kneecap forever. Slow stretching, gradual rebuilding. If he wants to come back 100%, he'll sit out the rest of the season. Wow. This is when Oladipo was going through, like, he had knee problems earlier. Yeah. Missed nine games. Oh, man. And... This guy sort of said, you know, he should really sit out the rest of the season if he doesn't want to mess up his kneecap. Wow. And oh, that's terrible. I hate hearing see that. What, yeah, we see what happened today. Uh, so, obviously, questions are going to have to be answered by Kevin Pritchard, uh, you know, Old Depot's team. But obviously, they want, I mean, I don't blame them for, for doing it. I don't blame them for playing, but, you know, obviously, they made the decision and it, it it backfired. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, we would never 100% know if him injuring his kneecap was related to the earlier injury. But obviously, considering the knee injury he had this year, considering this information, obviously those those current, those are those parallels are going to be drawn and it's again. It's just, it's, a, it's just sad to me because again, I, I, Old Depot seems like a great dude. He's a great ball player, and uh, and the league is better, of course, when he's playing playing well. And the Pacers have been really good this year. A team that I really have my eye on all off season, and like you said, no bo- no boogeyman with LeBron. You would think that maybe they could have done something. So again, shouts out to Old Depot. Hopefully, he can get back and recover. But uh, we'll be following his uh, situation, that Pacers situation, very closely. Um, speaking of moving, uh, shifting gears quickly, to get back to the Super Bowl, talk about some football here. The Rams and the Patriots will lock horns in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. Kendall, this is a, uh, a, a matchup that is not that surprising in terms of where you would consider these teams, um, cutting into the season, going into these games, these teams kind of faced, I think what a lot of people thought were long odds. Not that these teams couldn't have won these games, but... The, the Rams going into uh, New Orleans in the Superdome. Uh, young head coach, young quarterback, hostile environment against a veteran coach, veteran quarterback. I think a lot of people, you know, expected that it might be tough sledding for them. And early on in that game, it was. But they were able to find their way, to, find their way through that game, through that hostile environment, and then some big help from the rest late in that game. And then obviously the Patriots placing that offensive juggernaut with the Chiefs. The, I, you know what? Everybody's giving credit to Brady, and Brady deserves a ton of it. And trust me, we'll talk a lot about him. But I thought the Patriots' defense won the game in the first half because they basically just tried to hold on for dear life in the second half, and then Brady did what Brady does late in the game. But the Patriots' defense and their ability to get pressure and win at the point of attack, I thought set the tone for the entire first half in which the Patriots dominated. So uh, what were your takes on, on, on those two games, Kendall? Um, well, starting with the, start with the NFC Championship game, 
Uh, obviously, a lot of people are talking about the missed call, you know, the missed pass interference uh, that really obviously screwed the screwed the Saints over. Um, yes, it did. Yes, that had an impact on the game. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Ram, the game went into overtime. The Rams won, uh, and I see. I mean, a lot of people are talking about the whole, uh, you know, oh well, in the NFL rule book, in Rule Thirty Five, Exhibit Four, Section Three, it, it gives the commissioner power to, you know, restart a game or reschedule a game or change the result based off. Yeah, of, well, it started with Michael Thomas with that. Yeah, team. Michael Thomas tweeted that out, and honestly, I don't know why that thing is there. I feel like that that rule is designed just to rig games. Really, really <laughs> it probably was when it originally went into the. Yeah, world. honestly, like oh, we really don't like a result, we can change it, but because it make, I mean, if we're really gonna like talk about that, we could talk about that for every game, almost every game, where like you just pinpoint this was a bad call, this changed the momentum of the game. We should restart the game from this bad call, and that would open up obviously an, an incredible can of worms. That yeah. obviously the league isn't trying to get into. Um, with that being said, yes, the Saints were screwed over in that regard. But the Rams, oh, look, I came in thinking the Rams were the better team. Uh, I was a little surprised that Goff uh, was able to lead them down the field like that mm, yeah. twice. But, yeah. you know, that was very impressive for a young quarterback uh, on the road, nonetheless. But um, also, shouts out to Greg Zerline, who hit that. You know, Legatron in that fifty-seven yarder. Yeah, uh, I saw his career, his career from fifty, I believe it was fifty plus. It might have been more than that. It was like fifty-five plus or something like that. He was like three for twelve. Mm. Someone was like, "Yeah, that's classic Jeff Fisher right there." You know, taking Dude. twelve field goals from fifty-five <laughs> yards. <laughs> but uh, but no, nah, um, but yeah, I. I with that game, though, I feel like the Rams were the better team. I felt that going in, and uh, it's obviously going to be a challenge for New England. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the Rams game, look, uh, the call obviously was missed. And, you know, it's hard to say, you know, one call kind of blows the game. But, like, that call really put gave the Rams a chance to come back. They would not, yeah. I don't think, had that chance had that call been made. Now, of course... You know, Lutz could have missed a chip shot if they didn't get in the end zone. And then, I mean, or they could have fumbled the snap. I mean, a lot of things could have happened. But obviously, that put the Saints, uh, that, that gave the opportunity for the Rams to make the comeback that they did. And they uh, executed. So you got to give them credit for that. But clearly, the call was missed. There's a lot of questions about what they should do with the referees, Kendall. I don't really know what you do, honestly. The game is, the game is, 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 is these guys are bigger, stronger, faster. And I think that is uh, lending to why we're seeing so many missed calls now. I'm going to be honest. I think because we're saying why is refereeing so bad. I think these athletes are just much faster and much stronger. And I think maybe it's harder to play to play to just get it right at time to time. And even though the biggest plays of the game are being uh, being being missed, you know, a lot of people are said they're saying guys should be fired or, or suspended or if you miss a call like that. I just don't know what that does. I, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're saying, oh, so a guy is going to be, you know, like, is that going to make a guy not get the call right? 
or rather not get the call wrong is they know they're gonna get suspended i don't think he's got a purposely missing calls yeah it's not intentional obviously of course so i don't know if like penalties is what we need i i've heard about you know should they make uh pass interference reviewable Maybe yeah. I'm in, maybe I'm in I'm in the minority. Maybe we're both in the minority. I don't know. I just think that's a judgment call. I don't think that that should be a thing where, uh, where we're going to the to, to the replay on that. Because again, that 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 opens up a can of worms that people can claim they want to get into, but they don't want to get into that. Yeah, and how many now, how many teams would have like lost games on like terrible pass interference calls throughout the history of the NFL? Right. And now we're gonna change this because of one very very. Bad play, a play that like to me like that was so bad you didn't need replay. Like that guy just goofed. I, I don't know the whole yeah. replay team, the whole referee team goofed because I don't know how anyone on the field, not one person could have thrown the flag there. But clearly, for me, the back judge should have seen what happened, or the sideline judge, one of them guys. Right. Like for me, it's not a problem until things like this happen every game or every week or every season. They're rare. It's rare we have a missed call like that, and especially with a ref, you know, veteran referees. So, I, I mean, you have to chalk it up to, you know, the once in a lifetime bad call. We're always gonna get bad calls. Ref refereeing is a very human job. You know, it's not. These guys aren't machines. They don't have access to a million angles at a second. Um, these guys are going at full speed now. Again, that's no excuse for them not getting that call. But you have to expect that there will be um, that there will be missed calls. What you don't want, you don't want to become the NBA where you're reviewing everything. Yeah, man. Every it it is a play. problem in the NBA and college basketball too. Yeah, and college basketball as well. And that's the last thing I think the NFL wants, where it's like, oh, we're gonna have to review. This could have been a pass interference, and then it's like. I mean, now it's like in the NBA, are we going to review fouls? I mean, that would be another um, – and look, I'm okay with reviewing penalties if it's not a, if it was, if it's not a judgment thing. Like, I want, I want to review this guy's offsides. Oh, out of review bounds. That. Yeah, oh, yeah. Out right. of bounds, you know. Like, offsides is a penalty, but it's not really a judgment call. Right. He, he, broke the, he broke a very clear rule. Right, like um, D Ford obviously was an offside, but if they didn't call it, they could have obviously right. – Went to the exactly. It could have changed the game. Yeah. Um, but so like I in in those cases I have no problem with reviewing penalties. But I, like you said, a judgment call, a pass interference, uh, even holding those you can't. I don't want to see guys going back to the booth. And as look, I hate to say it, uh, but at the end of the day, to me, I still put a lot of blame on that loss on Sean Payton. Sean Payton's right. play calling late in the game was terrible. Uh. He, he, they, they should have been trying to run the clock out so they wouldn't have had to get a first down to uh to, to make that make that situation where um where they could ice the game, but instead he threw the ball on first down on a play that was terrible, um. So that stopped the clock. Then they stopped the clock again on another pass play, and then now all of a sudden you're looking at a play where the uh, the situation with the Rams were going to have plenty of time with the ball. I know you want to be aggressive, but. I think Sean Payton misplayed that. Drew Brees, that first pass was was at the guy's feet, and the guy drops it. Like, Brees and Payton are supposed to be elite when it comes to this kind of situation, closing the deal to go to the Super Bowl. Neither guy, those guys are both going to Hall of Fame, and neither guy were Hall of Fame on Sunday. 
and they allowed a call to ruin their chance. You know, because like, like, yes, the call screwed them, like we keep saying, but it shouldn't have got to that point. They should have been running the ball. They should have been completing easy passes that would have given the Rams such a short amount of time to come back to try to get a game-winning field goal that maybe they could have found a way to uh, to hold on. So, but they didn't do that, and that's why I do think we got to give credit to the Rams because. Goff was money, man. I mean, Goff in that fourth quarter, or really in the second half, but just the way he was able to to, to maneuver what I thought was uh, an aggressive defense, a defense that was playing well for the majority of that game and made it tough on them. They did not allow them to run the football. And I said it, we said it last week, we thought that the, the, the recipe for this win for the Rams is going to be them being able to run the ball effectively, and they never got a chance. And it started with, Goff having to try to bring, pull them out of that hole they were in, and I got to credit uh, uh, Sean McVay for coaching with with heart and coaching with uh, with guts. Going for it on fourth down in the first quarter in your own field position, you're down 13 yeah. points. Fake punt. That's a huge play. The the, the Saints were going to get the ball, and with the way the Rams defense was playing at that point, the Saints were going to score, and the game was going to be over. So having the wherewithal, having a play call ready, and having the guts to go out there, and of course the players going out there executing it, that's money coaching. I, I to me that the biggest takeaway from that game was the guys who I thought would be money were not when they needed to, and the guys that I thought the moment might be a little too big for them, they rose up, man, which makes this Super Bowl very interesting because I mean now they're facing the master of all masters with Brady and Belichick, but Goff and McVay passed a huge test on Sunday for me. What about what do you think of that AFC Championship game? Brady going down at the end. People are now talking about overtime rules uh, in that game because, of course, yeah, no, once no. the once the coin flip went to the Patriots, I think everyone knew how that game was yeah. going to end. And after what we have seen Mahomes do to bring the, the Chiefs back on that late drive to get them a chance to send it to overtime, we all wanted to see if he at least get another chance with the ball, and that clearly was not going to happen. Do you think that rule should be changed? And then what did you make of uh, of, of how uh, Tom did it again this uh, this past Sunday? Uh, yeah, the overtime rules. I mean, it's weird. I feel like they already made the adjustment that's supposed to give teams a legitimate shot um, at getting the ball back. Uh, it, look, great defenses should be able to stop a team from getting seven when they need to. And well, the Chiefs are clearly not a great defense. Obviously. <laughs> they've proven, the they've reason, proven that over and over again against Tom yeah, Brady. The reason Bob Sutton, you know, is out of a job today. Yeah, which they, they I was shocked. Out. I saw Bob Sutton was still there. I was like, well, no wonder they have a bad defense. Any Jet fan knows uh, yeah, Bob Sutton. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always surprised when he, he turns up somewhere as a defensive coordinator. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm always <laughs> yeah, like they must They must not have seen his tenure with the yeah. Jets. Oh, man. His tenure with Jets was rough. But, I mean, but, it, maybe it's something that we don't know. Right, exactly. But, like, regardless, um, I like – I so I feel like, look, they, they adjusted the rule to give teams a fair – a more fair shot – Getting the ball back by saying, "Look, if you can keep this team, if you can hold teams to under three, you'll get the ball back." Uh, that's not an easy task going against New England and Tom Brady. I'm not saying the Chiefs were even the worst team on Sunday, but they had a shot to get the ball back and they didn't do it. Um, 
I will say I think college overtime is way more entertaining than than the NFL. So take that for what it's worth. If, from a fan's perspective, I, I I prefer when a game gets into overtime in college football. It's a lot more entertaining. Definitely. And you're all, it's a there's higher chance for there's a much higher chance for there to be a classic because there's nothing there's nothing incredible that's going to happen in those 15 minutes. Either somebody's going to score a touchdown or if it's the regular season or no one's going to score and it's a terrible game and it's going to be a tie. Those are, those are awful, obviously. Or if it's the playoffs, you're just going to keep going until somebody kicks a field goal. <laughs> I mean, that's not fun. So if, from a fan's perspective, I understand it. Uh, at the same time, you know, I do worry about, like, again, you're really messing with, with history there. Yeah. Yeah, the, biggest thing I, the biggest thing I was having with college football is like the scoreboard in terms of the points being scored, the numbers all different, teams because defenses are playing different. Uh I I think there's a way they could do it, but that isn't exactly like how college does it. I, yeah, I'm almost wondering we don't have to I mean you don't necessarily have to have because I feel like I also think if you have these if you have these uh Especially through the offenses are now. If you start them at the whatever they're at the twenty five or they're gonna score every time. in college, they're gonna score every time. Yeah, it's too easy when you get in the red zone with these the way these quarterbacks are, especially in the playoffs. So that would be my one issue. I mean, if you want to start them at like the fifty, that'd be a little. That's a little different. But uh, yeah, I I, I I I can understand, especially from a spectator perspective, the need for change. Yeah, I mean. I I feel like I don't I don't love these rules, uh, but I get them. At the end of the day, I don't think that we should just be we should be so resigned to the fact that defenses can't stop offenses that now we want to say oh well not the other offenses have a chance to score. Because then what happens then? So because I just don't know what the the solution is for uh, for 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 handling this in the future. I mean, maybe you started at the 50 and do the college football rule, make it a little easier for the defense, or maybe you just eliminate field goals. I, I, to me, I, honestly, I, I would be okay with that. Maybe if you start at the 50 but say no field goals and it's just whoever can stop the team from scoring a touchdown at some point. I don't know. That would be interesting. I, I think that that – because I, I, think, I think we're all tired of field goals ending, to ending ch- people's chances of going places in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think, wins or losses, yeah, like makes I, or misses. Yeah, I think people looked at what the Rams did, and like just barely get it, just five plays, fifteen yards, and they they're going to the Super Bowl. Like, like yeah, five plays, fifteen yards, and now you're Super Bowl. Really? Like, wow. Like I remember the Bears. We thought they lost, you know, and when Foles scored that touchdown, and then they drove down the field in like ten seconds for yeah. a makeable field goal. They, I mean, they should have had no shot at that. Yeah, but, I mean, Cody Parkey choked, but. I mean, most kickers make that, and the Eagles, we're not even talking about the Eagles uh, yeah. getting past them. So, like, I, I feel like, to me, like, I, I love, you know, field kickers are football players. I'm not trying to diss them. But for the entertainment of the game, I just don't I don't see the value in them being a factor in overtime, except for kickoff, which, I again, I would eliminate and maybe just start at the 50. Please, <laughs> um, like, no, no, uh, no impact. Yeah, yeah. I, just forget about the kickers. I don't need kickers in yeah, overtime. They shouldn't be deciding overtime game. Now they definitely should be deciding late, late at the end of the game. You know, game winning field goal. It's not like we're eliminating the field, the game winning field goal. It's just overtime, no kickers. No, they shouldn't be a part of the game. 
Uh, and I think if you start him at the 50, you eliminate the punter. No punters. No, no, no guys who don't don't uh, who are specialists only deciding the game. And uh, and maybe that's how you do it. And and then just say, all right, start at the 50. You guys score a touchdown to win. I just would like I would have like almost in hockey though where like you did like the shootout. So like I wouldn't have like oh we're running up the score like every time they score a touchdown because I don't then you get these like 65, 75, 70 games uh, that you get in college sometimes because like teams are scoring and they can't stop each other. I don't want to see any of that. That would ruin the record books and I think that would just uh, pervert the stats. But I'd have it like in a shootout where it's just like you know. You just it's just like a knockout, so to speak, knockout rounds, and then whoever wins just give them six points, and that's the winner of the overtime. You know, just like in right. hockey, it's just like you get an extra goal, and then you won. Um, but in terms of Brady, man, a lot of people are talking about how it, can we not say this guy is the greatest quarterback of all time? Now, I I, I certainly for one feel like we no one should be saying anything about Aaron Rodgers in this guy's conversation. Let's, no, no, not and, yet. No. And it's, but it, but they've been doing it, and it's been it's been kind of ridiculous. And I think me as a Jet fan, because I hate Ryan Brady so much, I kind of have allowed it and not said anything. We gotta stop that. That's insane. It's and like it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm a Vikings fan, and like I feel Rodgers' impact, you know, more than anybody. Right. And so I understand Rodgers is. You want to talk about all time great? From a yeah, he's all time great. You want to talk about from a Talent perspective, I think definitely I think the best guy in the game right now, but he doesn't have doesn't just doesn't have the resume that Brady has, doesn't have the winning pedigree that Brady has. Um, he's had, and it's tough for me to say, oh well, he hasn't had the same team and they they're in different situations. But Brady's got a new team every year. Exactly, he's running with a new different. He's been there twenty plus years. Obviously, he's got different cats there every year. And he's getting to a status where he's like LeBron, where every year he's in the, the conference championship. Brady, the worst season that they've had in the Brady-Belichick era was an 11-5 season where Matt Castle was the quarterback. Right. And Brady got hurt. Yeah. Since then, I mean, besides that, they're a 12-win team every year. Yeah. Playoff team every year. I mean, that's incredible. It's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Yeah. And... Or probably the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I think Brady's been to, I want to say, eight straight AFC Championship games. Yeah, nine be, Super Bowls in 19 years. Nine Super Bowls in 19 years. I mean, years. come on, man. We, we, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't want to hear about – and Joe Montana is incredible. He's one of the greatest football players ever, and he's number two when it comes to the quarterback conversation. We can't – I don't care what happens in the Super Bowl – to mention anyone else as the greatest quarterback, I think is hating. And I and I hate Brady. So I get it. But I'm I'm not I'm no longer gonna be silent about it. We can't we can't do this anymore. Cause that 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 dude went into uh the, the that those elements, that hostile crowd against who right now the, the, the newest, youngest, best quarterback in the game right now. And he showed he still got it. What is he? Forty one? Forty? Like Come on, yeah. this is crazy. And he might win another Super Bowl. I don't know what the line is. Do you know who's favorite in this game? Uh, I, I'm last a, I checked, it was Patriots. I, I'd have a hard time betting against Brady. I'd have a hard time. This dude is is unbelievable. 
And look, he got bailed out by D. D. Ford. No question. He clearly threw an interception uh, that would have ended the game, possibly uh, potentially. And he obviously threw uh, the interception uh, in the first half that I think really may have been a knockout punch that they could have punched in there uh, by the goal well, line. Yeah. It was a it was a huge play by the Chiefs. Rare mistake by Brady. Yeah, I've never. Yeah, that was a rare, rare. Yeah, he. I mean, he's like money in the red zone. I never seen him make a mistake like that. Brain fart right there. But I mean, that was a tough game to win, man. That was a tough game. I don't care what his numbers show, and his numbers were, were still really good. But I know he has the two picks and the one inter- one touchdown. But that was that was going to be that was big time, man. And, and then to go down there down the stretch, dude's incredible. And again, uh, I, I I wish I could say he wasn't the greatest. Trust me, I would be the first person who would have an argument to say why he wasn't the greatest. But we can't have that anymore. Nine Super Bowls in nineteen years. How many you won? Four or five? Like, stop it. And are we having stop the same – do we have to have the same conversation about Belichick? Yes. No one can – No, this is the best ever. There's no right. – the, and look, the obvious caveat that people want to go to is Spygate and Deflategate and other cheating things. Whatever. We're going to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame soon too, and and we'll talk about having a conversation with Barry Bonds. You could fine. I obviously they were cheating. They did stuff underhanded. I agree with all of that. But at the end of the day, it's still about executing, and and no one is cheating when Brady's down in an arrowhead in twenty degree weather, and he has to lead his team down for another game winning field game winning touchdown to go to Super Bowl. There is no cheating that gets involved with that. There is no deflate game. There is no smoking mirror. This dude is just nasty, and. Like I said, if if it was it was if I could speak otherwise, I would speak otherwise. But Brady just doing what he did, uh, it's just it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can't wait to really. I'm sure we'll break down this matchup more next week. But you know, this is going to be a very interesting game. Obviously, you have L.A. versus Boston, which yep. is what we had in uh baseball uh we will not have it in the nba uh but <laughs> what do you mean the clippers but, uh, don't got a shot <laughs> nah i don't think so but uh, uh this is going to be a and i mean you want to talk about the old guard versus the new guard with belichick and brady going against mcveigh and goff yeah um you know i, I look i i i was i was very high on jared goff coming out um and I mean, no way I would have told you he'd been in the Super Bowl on his what third year. Very, I mean, that's very impressive for a young quarterback. Now they've also assembled a way better team than I would have expected them. Yeah, to they, do, they've which, assembled like a juggernaut. Their team yeah, is less need with talent. Done an incredible job. Yeah. Um, and they they've done it the right way, which how most teams that they should do it. In that, I mean, they they realized they had a window. With a young quarterback in golf, where if we put all our chips on the table now, we can really do. We can really win this thing. If they could have been cheap. They could have been like, you know what? Let's try and save yeah, up. Do what the Jets did with Mark Sanchez. Yeah, yeah. Jets were frugal. <laughs> they did not, you know. But if you put all your chips in the table, you, I mean, like you said with Mark Sanchez, you can have a. You can legitimately, and if you your quarterback's actually good. Because Sanchez, as we found out, was not actually good. 
But if your quarterback's actually yeah. good, you can legitimately win a Super Bowl. And I don't know if Jared Goff is like a top five quarterback. I don't think he's a top five quarterback in the league. I don't even know if he's necessarily elite, but um, he's definitely top flight. He probably he's definitely top fifteen, probably top ten. But regardless, because of the team that they've put around him, I mean, now he gives them a legitimate shot to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is the, the Rams. This is why any dude who looks like Sean McVay is getting a coaching job. I mean, the yeah. Rams and what they've put together. And to me, I'm surprised that we haven't talked more about the front office. We always talk about McVay and we talk about God, but the front office, you said, let's need did a, a remarkable job putting together uh, this club. And you're right, you said, I think it's an interesting match. I'm looking forward to talking about it a lot next week. To me, I look at the Rams and what challenges they could present to Brady and Belichick. I think that what we did see in this game was the Rams' ability for their front four to take over. And it was something I talked about last week as one of the things that concerned me with the uh, – well, rather, it's one thing I thought that the, the, the Saints would be able to negate, actually. I said that the Saints, because of their quick passing attack, would be able to negate uh, Aaron Donald and Dom Sue and those guys. And that was not the case after the first quarter. I mean, Sue had his best game as a Ram, and Aaron Donald was in the backfield every play. Brady, if there's any rest, really is any quarterback, but for Brady especially since we these are high-profile games we've seen him uh, lose. It's when teams have been able to get pressure on him in key spots. That's when they've been able to knock off the Patriots in, in the Super Bowl. So if there's any matchup I'm looking at in particular, it's going to be can the Rams get pressure on Brady consistently? I don't think the Chiefs really did, which is why Brady was able to drop back so many times and, and be comfortable in the pocket for the most part. I'm curious to see if uh, if that Patriots office line will be up to the task against the Rams' defensive front, which which is is playing really good ball right now. Yeah, um, I mean it's going to be a tall task. It's a totally different matchup for New England than definitely KC, you know, in, on on terms of a defensive line. Uh, but there aren't too many teams in the league that can put up a defensive line that like, uh, especially an interior defensive line like. Uh, LA has so um, obviously that's going to be a huge key uh, in this matchup and I mean again I, I'm very very excited for this matchup you know, yeah I, this is a great Super Bowl I mean yeah you know this is this is this is a great Super Bowl matchup no question I mean I think we were I mean, lucky yeah. with the four teams that were in it in the, in the championship Sunday so I thought we could have got any great matchup but this this was this was this is going to be great yeah, yeah, these, I, like, I'm comfortable saying these are probably the two best teams, you know, in the league at this point. Considering both teams went on the road and beat their, you know. The only other team who could state that case. Yeah, the only other, yeah, the only other team that could state that case. I would say probably the two best teams in each conference, so should be a good matchup. Let's talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame, Kendall. So, we finally got the official class of 2019. It includes Mariano Rivera, who becomes the first player ever to uh, be voted in unanimously. Roy Halladay, the late great pitcher for the Blue Jays and Phillies. 
Edgar Martinez, the longtime DH for the Seattle Mariners, and uh, Oriole and Yankee great Mike Mussina. Kendall, what do you make of this class of four guys that's going to be uh, inducted along with Lee Smith and Harold Baines, who were selected uh, by the by the by the special committee uh, last uh, last December? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, good for. Um... First of all, good for Mariano that he got that unanimous vote. Uh, still a shame Ken Griffey didn't get it, but uh, Mariano, if there's any other person that deserves it in our era, Mariano's also very much that guy. You know, Derry Jeter will also get it, I'd imagine. But um, obviously, I mean, he's the best closer I've, I ever saw, the best guy I've seen. I haven't seen anyone near his level since. Um and for the production that he had for so long, I think warrants that unanimous selection. Uh, although the even the concept of should a guy be unanimous, I don't know if that really. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess I always and, say that it's ridiculous that people become Hall of Famers three, four, five years after they were eligible the first time. It doesn't make any sense, right? And also, like, I mean. I, you know, I can't speak for everyone that voted for him. I mean, I, I I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. So I guess I guess that means I think he should be unanimous. But you know, I if someone doesn't think he should be in the Hall of Fame, I understand it. But um, I don't know. What I will say is, uh, I I I don't know how I feel about. Seeing, well, also also shout out to Roy Holiday. You yes, know, another guy rest, who rest was. In peace. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously, what happened to him was tragic. Um, in my era, you know, growing up, obviously I'm a little younger. He, I mean, I can't think of off the top of my head three or four more pitchers that were better than Roy Halladay. Um, whether it was in Toronto, where he was Cy Young candidate every year, and then when he obviously moved on to Philadelphia and was a Cy Young candidate, uh, and a world he won a World Series in Philadelphia. I mean, the guy uh, beloved. Obviously, I'm in Philadelphia. He's beloved in Philadelphia. Yeah. But, um, yeah, obviously a superstar player. Uh, taken away. Life's taken away way too soon. But um, I, I'm not sure how I feel about seeing it. You know, Edgar Martinez and and, and Mike Lucina okay. getting in. Okay, I'll talk to you all about this. What's up? Yeah, yeah. I got, yeah, EJ, we got I'm, I'm ready. Up. I'm ready for the smoke. I, I don't I know want how I feel smoke. about seeing names like Edgar Martinez. And Mike Mussina. What is your beef with Edgar Martinez? Look, Edgar Martinez, you know, great player, uh, seven-time All-Star. I mean, that's that's very impressive. Uh, Mike Mussina, also, uh, great player in his own right. But when I see a name like Barry Bonds not get in, and obviously there's an elephant in the room, why? But you look at the stats, and it's just obviously not comparable. Look. And I, 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 it's just uncomfortable. Like Mariano, Roy Halladay, in the same class, in the same ballpark. I mean, no, in theory, no one's in, in the same class. But they're but elite. They're elite. Players. They're 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 always at the highest level of at the sport in the sport. Edgar Martinez and Mike Mussina, eh? They longevity. They were very great. They were great players. But I mean, we're talking like titans. Like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. Look, Edgar Martinez. I don't see how anyone could say this guy is not a Hall of Famer. I mean, again, it's not necessarily uh, 
these guys shouldn't make it, but should these guys have made it to then and should the should guys have voted for these guys in spite of not voting for Bonds and Clemens? Yeah. Look, I, I'll, especially I'm a, Bonds. I'm gonna separate the Bonds and Clemens thing from just these guys quickly. Right, Martinez, because there are some people who have made the case. DH, they talked about Bonds and Clemens. Look, this guy was twice won the batting title. Uh, you mentioned seven time All Star. He was. And uh, we say he he did he wasn't a quote unquote position player, but he was an elite player at his position. He is to me the greatest designated hitter of all time. Um, maybe now Poppy probably supplants him now, but before Ortiz, it was Edgar Martinez. I mean, yeah, four. Well, I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, five, six out of seven, seven out of eight years, he had 100 RBIs. One year, he led the league in RBIs with 143. He did that at age 37. Um, he made the All-Star game at age 40 with 24 runs, 98, RB, 98 RBIs, batted almost 300. He has a career batting average of 312. I, this guy was just, and as someone who watched him play, he, he was impossible to get out. He, I mean, just... Sometimes you just got to, like, just knowing, just watching guys and seeing how good they were. To me, Edgar Martinez, the numbers back it up. But in terms of as a hitter, and I'm not just talking about the guys that hit 50, 60 home runs every year. Just like a pure hitter. I mean, Edgar is as good as as anyone that was playing at that time. Terms I mean, Bonds has average MVP. Terms of average and power. Now, and it, now, here's the thing about Mike Mussina. I'm fine with him getting in. I don't know if I would have voted for Mike Mussina, to be honest. To me, I think to me, if you're going to make the Hall of Fame, I had to have at some point said, man, this guy was an elite player at his position for a long period of time. I would be hard-pressed to find a time in Mike Mussina's career where I ever would say he was elite. And I get that he was very close to 300 wins. He was still at 270, so the longevity was impressive. But in his last season, maybe it was his best year of his career. Yeah, I know, right? Which is I mean, still he was on crazy. A team, but, yeah. but, I mean, he, he won 20 games. First time ever after all those seasons not winning 20 games. And he had an ERA of uh, 3.37. So the last year of his career, maybe that was the time when he was elite. I mean, it, it, it just, I don't see, I didn't see the window of dominance from him. Maybe you could say the last three years in Baltimore between 97 and 99. But I just think you need more than that to me to be a Hall of Famer. And uh, I think he does have a World Series. 99, he was second in Cy Young. And that's, okay, so that's one year where he was definitely elite. Uh, he, he Other years, he, he was twice he was fourth, and two other times he was fifth. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how, I don't know if that I'm making that guy a Hall of Famer. Uh. I think there, are, I think there are other players who were greater than him for a shorter periods of time that will have no chance of getting in, and right. just because he was decent for a long period of time and was able to still produce and still rack up wins, that got now, a Hall of Fame. I don't think you should be a Hall of Famer because you were a decent pitcher at age thirty-seven. Like I don't think that had honest. anything to do with it. Dude, does did is Mike Mussina in the Hall of Fame because he spent the second part of his career with the Yankees? Yes. Because if he played that second part of his career no in, way he's in the Hall Milwaukee, he's not He's not a Hall of Famer. I'll, I'll tell you differently. I, I think if he finishes his career with Baltimore, he's not in the Hall of Fame. I don't think. 
I mean, if he plays whole career in Baltimore, that's a little different sometimes. The sentimental you know, value. Yeah, teams, you know, oh, yeah, he's the best pitcher in our franchise history. Yeah. You know, it's a little, you made that but case. Like, if, you, if he makes that shift and he goes to Colorado, no. Nah. No way. Because now he has, I mean, he's with two different teams, but he doesn't have nearly the iconic identity. I mean, that, like, if you're a Yankee and you, you know, I don't, I don't think he won a World Series with the Yankees, right? No, he did. But um, you don't have that, that ring. You don't have that iconic identity of being, like, on, like, obviously, you know, the biggest show in the biggest franchise, arguably, in sports. It's 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 a different – he has a different reputation because of that, which, I mean, if I were, you know – Brian Cashman, I'd be selling to every free agent. You know, look, man, we we get guys in the Hall of Fame that wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame if they were on different teams. Yeah, I mean, and it's not to say it's not any diss to him. I mean, I'm fine with him getting in because again, the three two hundred seventy wins, uh, he did have some great seasons. So I'm fine with him. He didn't win a World Series, by the way. But uh, oh, he didn't. No, he, I thought he, he got one. He was literally in that stretch where the Yankees didn't get one. <laughs> Like right, he got there right after they won, right? Yeah, yeah, right after they won two thousand, and then and right before, before yeah, two thousand nine, yeah. two thousand eight was last year he retired, so he didn't get one. Um, and World Series of baseball players don't mean as much to me unless, like, in the World Series or in the playoffs that year, you were dominant. Like right. that, that could change your case for Hall of Famer for me. He was a pretty good postseason pitcher for the Yankees. I, that's not my issue with him in terms of him his postseason performance. I just, again, to me, like, if you're a Hall of Famer, you need to have a lot of years where you were like one of the best pitchers in baseball easily. And in a, a sport where they split the award and you were fifth, the fifth best pitcher in your in your your league, not even the, the whole league. It wasn't like he was, it was like, oh, if he was fifth in the whole Major League Baseball, well, that'd be different. Obviously, Cy Young, you have AL Nano Cy Young. So he's fifth. In, he wasn't really into the conversation all those times. Only twice was he really in the conversation when, for a Cy Young award. Never won a Cy Young award. That I have a hard, also, I have a little bit of a hard time with that. Um, but Edgar Martinez, I'm fighting you on. He is absolutely Hall of Famer. I don't care about Barry Bonds. That's a whole nother discussion. This dude was a <laughs> great hitter. What? What? What do we think about Messina getting in over Chris Schilling? So do we feel thing. like now I have another question. Yeah. What well, about Chris Schilling? We have to be honest. Do we think that his his uh, post Broadcasting post playing career has affected did affect his vote. What's wrong with his post playing career? What is he doing? I, don't, I, was, I mean, when you get into politics, he... <laughs> you become a divisive figure. That's all I'll say. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I look. If I were a Hall of Fame voter, I don't. I mean, it would cross my mind. I I would have a crucial in, but I don't know if every voter thinks the same way I do. I mean, to me, that's the thing. Because to me. Anyone who thinks Mike Mussini is a better pitcher than Kurt Schilling is crazy. They, they are. I, exactly. Like, That's how I feel about it. In the prime of their careers, Kurt Schilling was, like, the best pitcher in baseball. Mike Mussini at, at no point in his career was ever the best pitcher in baseball. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that – look, I think there are other issues with Kurt Schilling's resume. Um, he doesn't have as many wins, obviously. He's only at 216. He didn't have – as many years as of being elite, elite, you know, you look at basically maybe his last his last three years in Philly. I don't know. I, I mean, to me, I think he had enough years. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I'm surprised that it's taking him. He's kind of having this slow crawl 
when he first became eligible a couple of years ago and the numbers were so low, I was surprised. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. And I think we got to start kind of throwing out the whole career wins thing because was, guys aren't going to rack up career wins the way they used to. So it's no, different. The teams are being smarter about, like, yeah. So I, to me, much. like, the 200 wins should always be looked at. Like, to me, like, anyone who's, like, above 200, like, they should be getting serious con- serious consideration. So the 216 wins doesn't really bother me that much. Um, I get for a long time in his career, he was average. It really wasn't until, uh, I said 97, but he won a, he won a, a world series in which he won two world series rings. He was great in both world series. He pitched some of the best, uh, you know, world series playoff games we of the modern era. When you think about, uh, that game seven, he pitched for the, for the, for the Diamondbacks. You think about obviously, uh, the bloody sock game with the Yan- against the Yankees on the ankle. I mean, and anyone who knows me knows. I mean, Kurt Schilling and what he's done pro, pro, you know, playing career. I have no reason to be <laughs> be a him, fan, be right. a fan of him. But I mean, come on, Kurt Schilling is a better pitcher than Mike Mussina. And any baseball writer who would suggest otherwise, I, I think they're lying to themselves. So I don't know how you could vote for Mussina over Schilling to me, but. I don't know. It's, a, real it's, all, it's, all a, it's all a weird thing because of just how this whole thing works. With you gotta yeah. wait your turn, and it's all these unwritten rules that don't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, I hate the unwritten. Baseball is the worst with it, man. It is. I mean, Kurt Schilling is better than Mike Mussina. If you're doing this stupid unwritten rules thing, he should be in the Hall of Fame for Mike Mussina. There's he wasn't no argument for steroids. Why are we, what are we waiting for? Exactly. You no know, steroids. like the steroid guys. If you want to have an, an unwritten rule, like I'm not voting for guys that did steroids. Fine, you know it's it's a difference of opinion, but I understand your logic. But there is no logic to uh, I don't know. You've got to wait. There, there's no, there's no, there's no metric. There's no moral compass that suggests that Schilling shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame unless you unless you seriously have a problem with his politics, and that's why you're not voting for him. Which, which you can't, I feel like shouldn't you can't be. do that. Yeah, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't have anything to do with his no, baseball. Yeah, career. you cannot do that because because if you, if I was the other way, I couldn't say, oh, I don't like you know some other guy's politics, so I'm not voting him in. Like you can't do that. Uh, yeah, that's that's a slippery slope. No. And that's unnecessary. Yeah. He's not hasn't been, he's not a criminal. He hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, it's 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 whatever. But how do you feel about the uh, the the steroid guys? Though? So that's okay. really the huge deal. That's a big conversation. So. Bonds was at fifty nine percent. Clement was at. These guys are getting close. I mean, I remember when these dudes were at like twenty percent. Yeah, but the problem, Kendall, is that they're not getting the kind of growth that they kind of need, right? That like, conversation is getting louder and louder. Like it's getting louder, and I think it's they're going to get in. It's getting harder for these guys not to vote for them. I think it's at least, at least that's what it sounds like to me, because uh, more people are kind of being like, "Dude, like we're really still doing this," but. Last year they were at fifty seven and fifty six. This year they're at fifty nine, basically. So a, a two point two percentage increase. I mean, they gotta get to seventy five, Kendall. That's a that's that's that's. I mean, they got fifteen. They had fifteen years on this thing, right? I and mean, that's a long time. But yeah, I think they will eventually get in. I think it's a. I think it's a sham that neither of these guys are in the Hall of Fame. Um, I speak about this every year. I think it's ridiculous that players in that steroid era, like Edgar Martinez, like Mike Mussina, like 
Mariano Rivera. I'm putting everyone in there. I'm not everyone. And, if you played in that and era, I'm not, and I'm not accusing any of these guys. I'm just right, putting exactly. them in the era. It's a sham to me that these guys are getting voted in, and there's no suspicion of steroids. There's no problem putting these guys in, and it's because with the exception, with the exception of Mo, who was as great as Clemens and Bonds were. The only difference, besides that there are uh, obviously accusations of steroids, is that Bonds and, Re- and Clemens were better than these guys. Right. It's, 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 it's insane to me that the best players of the era are the ones that are getting penalized for being the best. And that's well, something even- that someone <laughs> needs to explain to me how that is being allowed and being fair. Ivan Rodriguez I- is yeah, was- a <laughs> great player. I love. He's one. You know, he's one of my favorite players of all time. Yeah, Ivan Rodriguez was accused of being injected with steroids by Jose Canseco, who baseball writers were telling me is credible because of what happened with Alex Rodriguez. You guys had no problem putting Pudge in because he's not as good as Barry Bonds. If, if Pudge was hitting 70 home runs and Jose Canseco said, I injected him with steroids, everyone knows they're not putting him in the Hall of Fame. This is yeah. ridiculous. It doesn't. There's no rules to this. It doesn't make any sense. And EJ, I, they, is David Ortiz going to get in for his ballot? Absolutely. 100%. And last time I checked, David Ortiz was also accused of using his name came up in a report. There was a report that he had a positive test. Yeah, he he had a positive test. No one cares. One, because he's a likable character. Um, And for whatever reason, the media does not want to bring that up. And I, again, another guy. I love David Ortiz. DJ knows this. Yeah. I grew up, I was a Giants fan, and I was also a Red Sox fan. David Ortiz is one of my favorite all-time players. But the fact that we're going to ignore what Ortiz did. And, again, I'm not saying David Ortiz is, you know, a scumbag or he's an obvious juicer or whatever. But we can't, for some guys, some of these dudes haven't even admitted to anything. I don't. Barry Bonds, I think we know he's lying. But he hasn't explicitly come out and said, "Yeah, he's, I use steroids." Yeah, he's not. He hasn't admitted to using steroids. There hasn't been a. It's all uh, alleged. There hasn't been a positive test with him. Yeah, I don't know if Barry Bonds ever tested positive for now, anything. Obviously, there was a whole, you know, get what, what the guy Anderson, his eight, his uh, yeah, his trainer, trainer, who who never snitched, <laughs> but you know, did go to prison for perjury because they think he was lying. Like, I I just don't I don't. To me, like uh, the bond. To me, bond the the bonds admission, the bonds thing is worse than Clemens. Cause he's Clemens. There's a guy saying, "Yeah, I was injecting him." Like, th- I mean, that's a clear, obvious accusation. With bonds, there is no accusation really. There's not even an accusation. Right. Not like a credible one. It's just he got real big, <laughs> and right. and and he and his head got big, and it was you know, and and, and he had acne and, on his back, and his trainer was with. A steroid thing. Obviously, and, yeah. one plus one is two, but at least, but it's still all circumstantial. Like, how can and like you, you said, it, it, it's a slippery slope to be putting all these dudes if, to put honest to put anybody in from the steroid era that into the Hall of Fame because it is. there are, I mean, as we know, there are dudes now in sports that are obviously not obviously, but that are likely using. Forms enhancing drugs that are really good at passing these tests. There are also guys he's, who are using form enhancing drugs, Kendall, who are terrible. They're not good baseball players. They're not yeah, good football and that's players. The other thing. That, that's that's the other thing where it's like 
it's called the steroid era for a reason. <laughs> Not just because Barry Bonds was using steroids. Because it was a steroid era because everyone was using it. You know, 75% of the league was probably using something. So the fact that Bonds was still hitting 70 home runs, yes, was it – What is that like a legitimate number? If we want to talk about an asterisk on the home run record, fine. But whether or not Barry Bonds is an, as a Hall of Fame baseball player – is an entirely different conversation. Especially when and, you consider these quote-unquote accusations happen after he, he was won already like three MVPs, four MVPs, was one of the greatest hitters of all time, one of the greatest outfielders of all time. Like, he's already, he already cemented his legacy as a Hall of Famer even before the quote-unquote steroids there, started. There are dudes that have been, I can guarantee you, and I, look, I don't I have no proof, I don't have the first fact, but there are dudes that are in the Hall of Fame right now, in the Baseball Hall of Fame, that have used steroids. 1,000%. 1,000%. Just, the odds, it's impossible to, for me to believe in a sport that where guys have used so much that they haven't voted guys in. Probably guys that they voted in the last five, six years that have used at some point in their careers. So are we going to, you know, are we going to penalize the guys that got caught? I mean, yes, but they have been penalized at this point. I mean, they Barry just put, Bonds would have been in a decade they ago. They put in Edgar Martinez, Kendall, and the most home runs he hit in his career was 37 at age 37. Right. I mean, do do we think that that was do, that was completely clean? I don't. My thing is, I don't maybe, know. It I don't could, know. It very yeah. well could have been. I, I'm not. I'm not even using that to accuse him. I'm just seeing, saying the point about oh, Bonds hitting all these home runs when he's older. It, how is yeah, it possible? It was very weird. You're clearly allowing other guys to have these uh, weird stats. Uh, come out of nowhere, and you're not challenging them on it because you don't care to. When Jose Bautista makes it to the Hall of Fame, which if he makes it to the Hall of Fame, yeah, he will but, never make the Hall of Fame. I'll tell <laughs> he's you that like, oh, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, I'm like, what's but going if on he here? Ever did, oh, yeah, that, is there another Jose Bautista we're talking about? What happened? Oh, I'm saying there's, oh, another, yeah, there's yeah. another Jose Bautista we're talking about. It can't be the one that was playing for the Mets this year. It and you also have to remember, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Forgot he was a Met, but. The same people, or some of the same people that have that are voting no mm-hmm. on Barry Bonds to make the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. are people that voted for him to make the All Star game. Talk your ish, Kendall. Voted for him to win the MVP. Talk your ish, Kendall. You know, voted for him to you know be on the be a Silver Slugger. Yep. But then now all of a sudden, push comes to serve, and he's not MVP. They knew that's that the he problem. was using. That's the problem. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Kendall, because that's maybe the most. The worst thing about this is that these dudes who are not, uh, who are now these holier than now cats, putting their nose up saying, "Oh, you use steroids, therefore I'm not going to put you in the Hall of Fame," were the same dudes that were marketing Barry Bonds. They were talking about his accomplishments, making, making living, making making a living, making a living covering this guy, not covering his steroid use. But covering his accolades and how great his he was, chase. his home run chase, and glossing over what was obvious to everyone else. But now, years later, when it's up to now put him in the Hall of Fame, they're making up these rules. Oh, well, you use steroids. Where were you guys? Weren't you the same dudes in these locker rooms with these guys? Weren't you the same dudes who, who saw what was happening and turned the, other, uh, uh, turned the other way? Where were you guys then? How all of a sudden now they're having these conversations? Like, oh well, now I can't put him in because of what the accusations are with him and steroids. You saw this dude gain three thirty pounds of muscle, his head go to size eight, and hit seventy home runs, and all and you, you celebrated him. It's 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 
it's it, it's me. I, I think it's embarrassing that we have writers who covered Bonds the way they did during his home run chase during those great seasons at the end of his career to then turn around now and do this do this. The same thing with Roger Clemens because it was worse with Roger Clemens. At least with Bonds, they hated him because he was a jerk. So like the coverage even then was like controversial. Roger right. Clemens is just, was universally loved. He he was he was like the Brett Favre of baseball. You know, it was like he could do no wrong. He was just the the, the good old Texas boy, and everyone loved him. And we saw him go to Toronto all of a sudden, all jacked up, throwing ninety five miles an hour after he looked dead in the water. When he was in Boston. What do you think that was? You guys are supposed yeah. to be smart. You guys are supposed to be baseball people. You thought, oh, he just got. He got a, a new trainer, and now he just got some good supplements. What, what do you think was happening? Yeah, he you saw him with the, numbers. Saw him in Houston at age forty years old, winning twenty games, going to the World Series. What do you think that was then? One point eight seven year. Come on, fam. How's that even possible? You got. We know these baseball writers are smarter than that. You guys weren't hoodwinked. So to act like you guys were hoodwinked now is the the most trash move. I, I can't. Even, I don't even know what else to say. It's it's so trash to me. And again, I'm not a huge Bonds or Clemens guy. I you know I, I they were, but I can attest that they were the greatest players of my era. <laughs> I think yeah. almost without question, you throw in a Randy Johnson there and a Greg Maddox there, and you know Ken Griffey. But then those are the guys. And it's crazy that these superstar, superstar, elite. I mean, Bonds to me is the greatest player of all time. And the fact that I have doubts that he will make the Hall of Fame, that is unconscionable. And it's, 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 a, it's a disgrace that these writers who watch these guys and made money off these guys and made livings off of these guys by not covering it, their steroid use are now using honestly, their steroid use against them. Their alleged steroid I, use against them. It's I think terrible. they're afraid to, to open up the floodgates. And I, I think that is a fair concern. Because if, if, let's say they do say, all right, you know what, Bonds, because, like, what's the cutoff? You know, Bonds and, and Clemens, obvious, in theory, if we want to put those guys in, I mean, I think Manny, Manny, Manny Ramirez should then also be a lock. Absolutely. Um, I mean, then are we putting Sosa McGuire in? What, Gary Sheffield? Is Gary Sheffield a Hall of Famer? I mean, I would think A-Rod would be a lock at that point. And now... That's when they they start to wonder, man. We're we're letting all the the steroid guys in. Anybody that's been popped, we don't even care at this point. Is Ryan Braun going to be a Hall of Famer? <laughs> it becomes then it becomes a slippery slope. It's like wow, we're putting some some, some shady characters into the Hall of Fame. I think so I to me, know. I think to me, in terms of what my rules are, my rules are, and my my rules aren't perfect. I'm not saying every everyone's perfect with this stuff. My rules are. If you got popped when steroids were illegal, I feel fine with you not being in the Hall of Fame. I, I think that so like a Manny Ramirez or Ryan Braun, I mean steroids were illegal and you got popped. So <laughs> that's different. Now the Rafael Paramaros, the Gary Sheffields guys who uh, ended up you know either being caught with ste- well Rafael Paramaro was also suspended, so he's done too. But like a, a Gary Sheffield who like admitted to using steroids because he was linked into the Balco thing. Um, and Alex Rodriguez, some of those other guys who had been in time, but well, he did time too. So if you didn't want to pay A Rod in, I would kind of get it. 
I would get it because the, there were no there were rules against using steroids, and you broke the rules, and and this is something that was obviously uh, to to give you unfair advantage. Right. So if you don't want to put any of those guys in, I'm fine with that. But I can't do the 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 Maguires, the Gary Sheffields, those guys who were have Hall of Fame numbers. There's no question about that, and and you don't put them in because of uh. Because of, because of a rule that didn't exist at the time, you just, I just don't think that that's fair. Now I think that there's a question about Sammy Sosa. I, I I'm one of those few people who don't think that Sammy Sosa, in terms of who who will put steroid guys in, who would not vote for Sammy Sosa. Because I think that Sammy Sosa was an average player that became great, obviously because of steroids. And but then even that that's the thing again though. That's a slippery slope. I know it's a slippery slope. I know. I get it. Who how do we know who got great? Who win? got great because of what? I get it. And my thing is he had the luxury, he had the he did to me, it's like he had the unfortunate thing of just like not using from the beginning. Had he been using from the beginning and <laughs> right. sixty home runs right. from the get jump from the jump, then he'd be the whole fan for me. But because like he was just average dude, then like one year he starts hitting 60, 60 home runs, sixty five home runs, I'm like Come on, fam. We know what this is. Like, <laughs> right, he's a great right. player. Everybody's using him, but, like, I'm not putting you in the Hall of Fame. You're a great player. I, I had no problem you making the All-Star game, and, but you're not a Hall of Famer. That's, that's my thing, but I don't know. I don't think that we should be penalizing guys who never got popped for steroids, and if you think they were using, they were using when things were legal. Because I think, again, like you said, we're putting in guys who I know we're using. Like, right. I just there's no way if, with the guys that have been getting in in recent years. I mean, I, the fact none of these guys used in the steroid era. Yeah, and there's no just, specific names I can think of. But and we're, and just, we're we're just dismissing like guys who like like I'm not again every guy I mentioned I'm not accusing. But like Greg Maddox first ballot, Tom Glavin first ballot. It's like oh well, they were small and skinny. And they only threw 80 miles an hour. How could they use steroid? Yes, they, they could have used steroids. I'm not saying they did. I don't think that they did. But like, just yeah, because a guy is, yeah, yeah, the scrub pitcher, yeah, that dude used steroids. Right, he was terrible. He wasn't any good. Like, I, we can't just assume because a guy is like big and strong. A Craig Biggio put him in the Hall of Fame. Well, he was yeah. five nine, two ten. That doesn't mean he didn't use steroids, fam. Like that's yeah. like that's this is. I'm a, sure if you gave me the it's entire, a Neanderthal the way. It can, it's a Neanderthal way of like thinking about. Oh, you hit a lot of home runs, so you use steroids. So I'm not putting you in. Guy who didn't hit as many home runs, but was also big and strong. I put you in. Like, come on, fam. We gotta be better than that. Yeah, because then, like I said, if you use that argument, then give me any. If there's any, if they vote in any dudes that hit home runs, I, I'm questioning. How, well, Jeff Bagwell, you know, I mean, you hit a lot of home runs, so. Why are we putting you in? I'm a Met. I'm a Met. I'm a Met fan, diehard Mets fan. He's one of my favorite Mets of all time. Mike Piazza, we put in. Yeah, you know, like yeah. And again, I'm, none of these things are accusations. I'm just saying the idea that guys who weren't as good as Bonds, who played in the same era, where we all are under the assumption that the offense exploded because of the use of steroids. The fact that we're just they were those also guys, star players in they that were era. stars in the era. We're just giving them a pass because there's no smoking gun. What? When we're when we're not putting in guys with no hard evidence. Like, come on, that like this thing is so flawed. 
that they got they got to figure something out. They they got to figure something out because this the way they're doing this right now it ain't working for me clearly. Um, okay, let's do who's flames, who's trash. You requested it, so we're gonna do it as a, actually before we do flames and trash. Kendall, before we do that, it's not scheduled on the show, but I feel like I gotta bring it up because this dude James Harden just put sixty one on the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, uh, tied for the most points by a, a road opponent at Madison Square Garden. The guy's been on an absolute tear. Uh, he's the MVP right now, right? There's no question about that. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never seen a player in my time following basketball I, go from like not really in the conversation to front yeah, runner in like front runner. two weeks. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just based off of like, well, you know, every game I'm going to have 40. Well, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, people kind of expected it at this point where it's like, you know, after a while, after like two, three games, it was like, oh, this guy, after the Warriors game, it was like, yeah, he might actually be the MVP. And now, like, nobody even cares. It's like, yeah. Kendall, he's, yeah, he's, aver- he's averaging 43 points for the month. Yeah, and for the month of January? Yeah, 43 points for the month of January. We're almost done with January. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's he, There's a very good chance he's going to end the month of January averaging 40. I mean, this has got to go down as one of the greatest months in NBA history. Yeah, we well, averaged thirty six the last month. That month was completed in <laughs> December. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, this guy is uh, unreal. And now he's averaging thirty six, almost thirty six points a game. I mean, this remind. I mean, the, uh, the last guy. I, I mean, this reminds me of Kobe's thirty five point season. Yeah, when he averaged thirty five a season, and he had like, eighty one. Like he's offensive. Just he's clearly mastered the art of scoring in the NBA. It's the only way to describe it. He's one of the best scorers I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, and it's incredible. His handle, the step back—you can't keep him from the rim. He's strong. And that's, and that's like, what's so impressive about Harden is that like he's not the most like creative player. What do you mean? You by know, that? like like he's got like a set of moves that he does over and over again that you can't stop. You know, like Kyrie's got more moves than James Harden does. Like yeah. in terms of his handle and like ability to finish with like different hands and stuff, like but he's not a better offensive player. He's not a better scorer. He's just a better handler, ball handler, and maybe a better finisher. But like James Harden is able to give you like like you said sixty one points on the road with like uh, like a variation of like five different moves. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's in, it's incredible. Like Harden is just. And I think that's why I think me saying that he's just mastered the art of scoring is like more prudent because you're right. I think that Kyrie has more moves. I think Kobe had more moves. Like, yeah. It, but Harden just knows how to get to his spots and get to the basket at will with what he has. Now, he has a great toolbox. He has an unbelievable three-point shot, an unbelievable step back, uh, an airtight handle. But again, it's not like yeah, it's not like he's a guy with a million moves. He doesn't have he doesn't have any post game, you know. Like he's doing it on just pure pick and roll in isolation. And uh, yeah, I mean he he was he, five uh, for two, he was five for twenty from three tonight. Imagine he was hitting his threes, he would have had eighty. Yeah, he would have yeah, exactly. had eighty. And he, I want to say he he scored like a hundred and something straight points like before this game. Like and they were like all unassisted. It was all just <laughs> I I got my own buckets. Yeah, 
like how did that even happen? I was listening to uh, uh, Mike Miller. Uh, he was on the radio in in Memphis. Uh, obviously, he's the coach over there now. And he was talking about he was like he was talking about that stat, and he was like, "How do you like how does how does that one point like the ball doesn't just like fall into your hands and then you like you know get a layup or something? Yeah, like everything you do is off your own creation. I mean, that's and I mean still we, can't, we take still for granted how incredible. Like we talk about Clay Thompson, like oh he scored this many points with four dribbles. I mean he's great moving without the ball, but he you know he's having other guys set him up." Harden, he's taking a, a you know probably hundreds of dribbles, but um, he's got to work for everything he does. Yeah, but I think that's why, and I think it's going to be another fascinating conversation about what happens with him in the playoffs. I think that's why he sometimes struggles in the playoffs because it is just all on him. And like I say before, I'm gonna say it again. I think Harden is like that great pitcher that has trouble in the postseason because you just see the guy over and over again. And, yeah, the first three or four games, my, my, he's tough. But, like, you see him the fifth, sixth, seventh time. Like you say, he, he's, he's kind of packaging the same moves in different spots, in different locations, different areas. You start to tie him up a little better, and he's, that's when these guys are can be uh, had in baseball. I think that's why Harden has trouble, along with the fact that he's tired. He's exhausted from having to play this style of ball. I'm just wondering how long he can keep this up. Because after the Philly game, even though they got blown out, D'Antoni said that he felt like if that game was close, he would have had another 50. <laughs> and and this game he had tonight was close, and he got 61. Like, how long how, how long can he keep this up? Can he can get, is this some is he is he gonna you know flirt with the idea of, of averaging 40 for the season? I mean, I, and that's this not, is becoming that sounds crazy right now, but he was only watch. averaging 32 a couple of weeks ago. So like these numbers are gonna keep going up if he's playing this way. And remember when Westbrook averaged his triple double and people were bugging out, and it's not nearly as crazy. He's doing it every year. But I don't think people even like realize it anymore because it's become normal. But like I, this is like light years more impressive because yeah, like he like Westbrook. We all we all even at the time we acknowledge all there's a lot of stat, stat padding involved. You know, Stephen Adams letting him get rebounds. You know, him giving up wide open layups for for an assist. But Harden, this team literally needs every single bucket Harden gives them. Yeah, they don't have any other option. Chris Paul's hurt. Capella's hurt. Uh, Harden is not stat padding in the slightest. It's either he's shooting, or it's going to go to PJ Tucker, or Gary Clark, or Daniel House, <laughs> or Austin Rivers. It's going to go to a scrub. So, <laughs> I, I, you know. I, this is and the fact that they've played so well with him playing like this. If they were losing a lot of these games, he would be getting a lot of uh, a lot of heat or a lot of a lot of heat rather for the way he's played. But he's keeping them. They're afloat. winning these games. Yeah, yeah. The only reason they're winning yeah. these games. Yeah, I mean, they've basically been a one. They, they the last month has just been win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win one, lose one. They haven't had a a winning streak or losing streak of more than one game for the entire month of January. So he's literally keeping them afloat with how he's playing, but it's all—it's the only chance they got. Yeah, I, I don't think they can keep this up, honestly. I don't think so either. Eventually, it, the Bucks. This isn't good for somewhere. their team. This isn't good for Harden. They need some sort of help offensively. I don't know. It could be Jeremy Lin. It could be somebody. But they, they need. Go, to get I think they're gonna make a move. Some sort of offensive they, punch. Yeah, because this because I, I, in the playoffs he's gonna be spent. It's just 
I mean, he took 38 shots tonight, and he's been taking 30-plus in almost all of these games. And that, that's a lot of shot attempts, man. That's not including the free-throw attempts. And the free-throw attempts, he, he's been going to the line. He's averaging 13 free-throws a game in the month. And this tonight, he went to the free-throw line 25 times. The game against the Nets, when he had 58, he went to the line 23 times. I mean, you combine that with the actual shot attempts, you're talking about a guy who's shooting like 40, 45, 50 times in these games. So, like, the Bucks, <laughs> they, they, yeah. they got to do something different. Will, Will Chamberlain, in 1961 to 1962, had 65 straight 30-point games. That's that's incredible. That's crazy. I mean, Harden's at 21 right now. I'm assuming that's the year he averaged 54 a season. I mean, I would statistically, I would, I would, I would assume so. But we should not uh, put anything past Will Chamberlain because <laughs> he could have done that in another year. Because twenty, he Harden's at 21 right now. He just passed Wilt in 1964 with 20, uh, and two more Wilt records at 25, and or two, two more streaks at 25 games and 31 games. He'll never get to 65. The 65 is up there with. The 100 points is completely unbreakable, but um, yeah, that's yeah, no one's ever touching that. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, the, some of his records are like the data just like don't even count. Like, no, it was a different era. It was the this wasn't the live ball era. I do feel like it is kind of crazy that he gets no consideration for the goat. Yeah, he's always the one guy that like you know obviously you know the reason is because there was another guy that on his level in his era that always beat him. I I don't even think that's but it. I think, really, I, think people, I think people dismiss the era. I just they think, oh, he was taller than everybody. Well, I see, because I, I feel think like it's if not he had fair. the accolades, if he had the accolades that Russell, Russell had, he would certainly be in the conversation. But because I, Russell beat him every year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, But here's the thing, like, okay, this is a really random I, thing, and right. I don't want to make this about LeBron, but like, LeBron is clearly a physical specimen unlike anyone else he's playing against. Like, why do we have no... Give LeBron Give LeBron a complete pass. And my thing is, I think we should. I'm not even saying that it's an issue. But, like, Will Chamberlain is a physical freak. We're like, oh, no, he's disqualified. LeBron is 6'9", 270 pounds, is built like a freight train. There's no one in the league built like him. And there's never a conversation about, oh, well, he's just... A physical specimen beyond beyond understanding, and therefore we, he shouldn't be considered. I, See, I, I I never looked at it like that. I, for me personally, when that's I what a lot of people say though. They say, "Oh, look, playing guys who were six seven. See, I don't I don't buy that. I, I don't mean, buy it either. There were guys right. who were told I mean, they're right that. in the sense that I mean that is a thing. But like, you know, he also played in an era. He also grew up in an era where like they didn't tell him to shoot jump shots. You know, maybe if Wilt would have grown up in two thousand and in this era. Maybe he'd be a seven-one center with LeBron speed that had a handle and could shoot threes. Yeah, well, Chamberlain was a track star. Like, yeah, like you don't think he'd be could, like Anthony Davis on steroids. Yeah, you don't think that him in a, in a as a pick and roll roll man would be unstoppable. Yeah. Or like if he developed a, a jump shot, yeah, which he didn't have to because there was no three-point shot and they, nobody the offense weren't designed to shoot. Point being, obviously, he grew up in a different era, but. I, 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 the reason I always dismissed him because I looked at look, you know, he never he could be could he never he was he was almost never be able to beat Bill Ross. Yeah, I, that's a lot of people. Say. If, if you're not able to get past one dude, 
And honestly, obviously, I didn't grow up in that era, and nobody really has much real record of what happened. It's not like people are watching. Not like there are too many people, people that grew up tape. back then that are that are able that are going to tell you, oh, this is how things went down. But if we really analyze how that era went, I'm sure pe- people step back, they'd realize Russell's oh, Russell always had the better team. Always, yeah. So, so in fact, that in fact, really the few times a, when it was close, well, actually, he won. Exactly. You know, is that really a fair way of going about it? Because we're not, we're not gonna. I agree. Because Kendall, we say the same thing about LeBron. LeBron, we say the same thing. Oh well, he lost uh, to the Durant's Warriors got twice. A way better team. It's like, yeah, but like, come on, he's going against the Warriors. Like, what can we expect? He beat them once. Like, isn't that enough? Forty years, forty years from now, we're not going to be like, <laughs> yeah, LeBron's not better than Durant because because you know he couldn't because he always lost to Durant. He couldn't beat Durant because there are people that think Russell's better than Will. And obviously, I'm a Celtic. Obviously, I'm a huge Celtic fan. So I love Russell, and this isn't a knock on him. But I mean, if you if you swap places, I think we. I think yeah, we'll probably R- have Russell. Of Russell doesn't win one ring. Probably not. Probably <laughs> I'm not. saying that Russell doesn't win one ring. <laughs> he, he's like, I'm gonna keep it real. He doesn't have a ring. He doesn't. You know, like it, it's nothing to do with if Bill he Russell. Does, it happens. But the idea that Wilt Chamberlain, but the idea of Wilt Chamberlain playing with that team, it's just there's no way he's not winning one. Right, exactly. And so I don't know. So, I, like, I just think, I, and I don't, I don't want. I'm sure, like uh, someone who listens to the show, who maybe a LeBron fan, may feel like it's LeBron here. It really isn't. It's not meant to be that way. But when we think about Will Chamberlain, his numbers, and why I know you're saying it's more about Russell, and there are a lot of people who talk about the fact that he couldn't be Russell. But I think the other issue was always like, yeah, but like, come on, he was a this physical specimen playing in a league that didn't see guys his size. Like, how is that fair? I'm like. LeBron. I'd be like Steph Curry plays in a league where there's a three point shot, right? Like if Pistol Pete was playing or Jerry West were playing yeah. in his era, Jerry they'd also be killing it. Yeah, you know, like Steph Curry played in the '60s, he'd be screwed. I think that's something. He'd be a great I, player, and that's why like the whole like goat conversation is just is, is in there in in its in its innate theory is just so flawed. It's just, yeah, right. It's, That's like, why, yeah. Even I, don't, just, I never really have it. Yeah, just even talking about it is so flawed because there's so many things. But I, I just think it's crazy that, like, we, we don't even think about Will Chamberlain as one of the greatest of all time when he averaged 50 points in a season. And in another season, the next season, he averaged 44. I, yeah. I, I just, that's Because, like I said, we, we just throw it out. We're like, that doesn't count. You know? Like, and all why? His records, I, I all his records, like, all Like, I guess the, the theme of this show is just, like, people just, like, throwing out greatness for, like, arbitrary reasons. Like, we throw out R- Roger Clemens and Brian Bonds and what they've done for arbitrary reasons. Because, oh, the guy, the guy, they were using steroids, and there were some other guys using but we don't know how many, and they yeah, cheated the 73 game. home runs, that doesn't count. Yeah, like, Too much. How, like, how do we, why do we do that? Like, I don't, uh, I don't Brady know. and Belichick, uh, they don't, that doesn't count. Yeah, oh, Brady, oh, there's some cheating in there. Uh, they're not the greatest of all time. Like, we got to stop this stuff, man. Like, we got to stop. This, like, just throwing out, you know, just, like, greatness that's not even parallel to anything else because of arbitrary things. Like, it's it's becoming too much. That is definitely the theme of today's show. Because uh, I just, I, I'm looking at Will's stats again. I'm just, like, if you bring up Will Chamberlain in the conversation, people want to, like, throw you out of the, they'll throw you out of the barbershop. They'll throw you out of the office pool, whatever you're in. They're throwing you out if you bring up Will Chamberlain. And I don't get it. I really don't. But, Kendall, let's do what we were planning to do. The uh, Who's Blames, Who's Trash segment. Let's get through this quickly. This is a college basketball 
themed who's flamed and who's trash. This was requested by Kendall, so we're doing it for Kendall. You go first, Kendall. Who's flames? Uh, who's flames? I'm gonna go with my boy uh, out in Murray, Kentucky, uh, Ja Morant. Uh, ja Morant. Obviously, we just released a video today on Ja Morant where we talk about comparing him and R.J. Barrett for who is the second best prospect in the NBA draft uh, after Zion Williamson. Um, I leaned John Morant. You leaned uh, R.J. Barrett, so you should check that out. But um, this kid has been uh, absolutely on fire. He's now finally, after months of doing basically everything he's done this week, has finally burst onto the national scene. Uh, People are... Uh, people in NBA circles are starting to catch up, talking about okay, this kid John Morant's for real. Uh, people on the national in the national college basketball scene are starting to really catch up, and fans uh, and people on social media are starting to recognize that uh, there's a special player that's playing out in, in Murray State. The first uh, real like live game that I watched from start to finish with John Morant was that game um, against Auburn and. That was about a month ago, and he was. I watched that, and I, I was sold. I was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, this kid is, this kid's for real." Like, you know, because and EJ, you know, this as like a huge basketball guy. Like, yep. you know, you can watch a guy, you watch like their highlights, and you're like, you know, they can do a lot of electric stuff. But it was beyond the highlights for me. It was the, like the little things. Yeah. You know, like the the passing ability and the the court awareness and the, the the obvious athleticism on every play, like extremely impressive. But um, at this point now with John Morant, I'm just hoping that Murray State can stay afloat, he stays healthy, and that they win the OVC uh, both in the regular season and in the tournament because we got to see John Morant in March. Yeah. We can't. Uh, generally, when we say that, the guy. <laughs> they well, never make it. Yeah, either they don't make it or they like, they get bounced in the first round. You're like, that was whack. But regardless, you know, like hopefully we do see John Morant march. Yeah, uh, John Morant is electric. And again, we did our video. Uh, I talked about it with my dad for a long period of time in terms of the, between him and Barrett. Look, I'm honestly I'm starting to have that him and Zion conversation, EJ. I here's what I said to my dad, uh, our dad. Um, <laughs> to me, I think there are three elite number one type prospects. To me. Yeah. Right. So, I'm fine with having that conversation with Ja and Zion. I, w- I am. I-, I-, I think Zion's number one for me, and I think Ja's number three with Barrett two. But I think there are three guys who, in any other year, would have very, very legitimate chances of being the number one pick and very legitimate cases. I think there are three number one type guys. I think this is a great top of the draft. You're one of those Bobby Reed teams. I, I, I think you could be in great shape. So and I said Morant is I think a stud. He's the, besides besides Markel Fultz, he's the best point guard prospect that I've seen since John Wall. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. high praise. Obviously, Kyrie was a different case because he only played like eight nine games. So like, you know, you really took out of that that like. You would have taken him over John Morant. That's a little different. But, like, Fultz is the only guy because – and obviously Fultz is, like, we look at him way differently than we did, obviously, when he was coming out of the draft. Yeah. So, 
I mean, I would have, you know, I at the time, I mean, I thought he was, I thought he was like, you know, he wasn't a pure point guard like Morant is, but I thought he fit perfectly what the NBA has turned into. And if Fultz was what he was supposed to be, he'd be the perfect guy to be a point guard in today's NBA. But maybe the perfect guy for the Sixers right now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So like, um, so besides Foles, I'd say he's the best guy I've seen since John Wall. And, uh, you know, that's saying something because I thought John Wall was a can't-miss type of point guard. And I don't know if I like John Wall better than Derrick Rose, but uh, I think Morant's in that class. And those dudes, I mean, we saw what they did. I mean, Wall had a little bit of adjusting to do. And I think Morant will have – he'll have a learning curve because he plays in a small conference, but from a – like a play style perspective, he's more under control than John Wall was. And that was kind of Wall's biggest problem as a rookie. So he that won't be a learning curve for Moran at all. It'll just be about like like you said in our video, can he really run a team? Yeah. You know, and really win games against stiff competition. And also can he play defense? Because I don't I don't know. He hasn't guarded you know, mid major guards are solid, but you know, going up against the point guard for Austin P is going to be a lot different than going up against Damian Lillard exactly. and Ross Westbrook every night. So, exactly. you know, especially when we play on a bad team. So, I don't know what that's going to look like. Yep. Uh, Morant special stay in the state of Tennessee. My Flames this week at the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, they are the number one team in the country for the first time in a very long time. I don't know exactly what the years are, but it's definitely at least decades since they've been number one. Uh, Tennessee for real, man. Uh, they, they, they now the, since they got that, since they were in position to get that ranking, they have seen some very close scares. They kind of let Alabama get back in the game this weekend. They needed yeah. overtime to beat Vanderbilt today. Don't let that stuff fool you. I think that now teams kind of see what Tennessee's about, and they're they're giving them their best shot. They're they're giving them their Duke shot, their Kansas shot, their Carolina shot, and Tennessee's gonna have to learn to play against these teams when they're playing up for them. But uh, Tennessee has got a squad, man. And I'm not just saying that because they beat the Zags. But when you got uh, that front line with Williams and Schofield, they, they Tennessee, this is not a fluke. This is a team that no. is as good as any team in the country. They could absolutely win a national championship. And I'm just really excited for uh, for Barnes because Barnes, I know you're not crazy about Barnes over there in Memphis, <laughs> but in Memphis land. But for the rest of the country, uh, Barnes has always been a very likable dude in college basketball. He's always been a program builder. And to see where Tennessee was kind of just floundering for all these years and for him to come in so quickly and show that he still got it as a coach because I had doubts. I wasn't sure what a Tennessee Rick Barnes program would look like after the way things kind of just fell apart at Texas. And he's truly uh, uh, put together a, a really hard-nosed, gritty, tough group of volunteers. Between Williams, Schofield, and then Bones, one of the best point guards in the country. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Bones really good. They, they're they good, man. Keep your eye out on this Tennessee volunteer team. They're definitely worth watching uh, for the rest of the season, and they will definitely, definitely be a factor in March. Yeah, uh, you know, Penny Hardaway, uh, the great Penny Hardaway once said, Rick Barnes, get the F out of here. That's all I got to say. Who's your trash, Kendall? It better not be Rick Barnes. That dude's dude's number one right now. Um, 
trash this week, EJ. I'm going with the entire Pac-12 conference. Uh, there's not obviously there's not a whole lot of good to say uh, about the Pac-12. No teams ranked in the top 25 in college, uh, obviously for college basketball. Um, their best team right now is Washington, who is undefeated. Uh, Washington also a team that's on the bubble. So, you know, I, I don't know how to feel about, like, you know, giving them too much credit for being the best team in a bad conference. But uh, right now, probably only three tournament teams with them, Arizona and Arizona State. Arizona State has not played well. Uh, so they're not a team I feel great about, even though they beat Kansas. The rest of the conference, though, is just complete garbage. Uh, the rest of these teams, Utah, Oregon State, USC, UCLA, Oregon, all no chance of making the NCAA tournament. They they only have three shots at the tournament. If Washington wins the Pac-12 tournament, they could end up being a one-bid league, which would be an absolute crusher for this conference. Um, I... I heard something. I forgot what I forgot what the the story was. Um, I, I want to say it was something about like the Big Twelve isn't going to get their own network or something like that. I, I feel like it wasn't. It was something more like more alarming for the future of the Big Twelve, right. where people now are assuming that there's a good chance that Texas and Oklahoma might leave and go to the Pac-12, which would be perfect timing for the Pac-12 because in both football and basketball they are. Uh, trending down. Um, even though Washington just got a commit from Isaiah Stewart, who's a top five, top ten player out of Rochester, New York, which you may be asking, how do they get a top ten guy out of Rochester, New York? But uh, hmm. Mike Hopkins was obviously an assistant at Syracuse. So yeah, exactly. That's the connection there. Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12, boy, um, DirecTV... And some of these other, uh, some of these other uh, cable companies that are holding out against buying that Pac-12 network. <laughs> they got some, some good negotiating. They, they they've been winning that negotiation. <laughs> yeah, some good negotiating fuel. <laughs> they've been winning that, yo. I I've not yo, thought about watching a Pac-12 network. I've not been thinking about a, watching a Pac-12 game since conference play started. I haven't yeah. thought of doing one. And the only time and is football, if it's on ESPN if Walton's doing it. And if football happened, I didn't think about watching one. There was not one football basketball game I wanted to watch for the Pac-12. They need to figure out if what they're doing is worth it. The fact that they're going to be they're they're still uh, not available to a bunch of people who are sports fans because they're buying Dish and Direct TV for sports packages. It's it, you know. I don't like what Dish has done in regards to the Philadelphia 76ers in my hometown of Nazareth right now. And the fact that I can't watch them, that's a whole nother conversation. But in terms of the Pac-12 negotiations, yeah, they've they've they killed that. They've <laughs> DirecTV and those guys, they uh they they've had uh they 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 they've they've been smart in that regard. I'm a little I gotta say something before I do this this trash can. I don't know if you've been watching at all this Nuggets Jazz game. I keep getting distracted because this game is extremely chippy two guys have already been ejected um in uh favors and 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 uh it looked like uh plumley had gotten into an altercation and there was a lot of pushing and shoving and they tossed both of them guys 
And now I just saw Jokic just flat out get in the face of Jay Crowder after scoring a bucket and was talking crazy to him. After yeah. uh, a Crowder had kind of gave him a little shove. And they, the referees didn't break it up. They didn't do anything. They just kept playing. But this is a very interesting development for it. <laughs> it could be a, another story coming out. Yeah, it might it might be something where after this show you're like, oh yeah, and like five minutes later there was a brawl. Like yeah, it's, it's, suspension. <laughs> this has been a very chippy game. I think Jokic is actually probably gonna get suspended because he left the bench during that whole scuffle with uh, Plumley and and uh, and in favor. So keep your eye out if uh, in this game, Kendall, if you get a chance. Late night out. Western Conference. Uh, my trash kennel real quickly. Uh, I'm going with the Indiana volunteer, uh, Indiana, Indiana volunteer, Indiana Hoosers. They've been volunteering a lot of L's recently. Cause, so, uh, uh, ugly striped pants. You're not a fan. Of, you're not a fan of the striped pants, Kendall. Uh, I mean, look in crimson and in white. Yeah, you know, in the that Tennessee color. Nah, disgusting. <laughs> um, I I gotta go with the Hoosers. They've lost five in a row. They look like a lock for the tournament. Now, I think the rest of the season is going to be braced for impact. I think the last, the most recent loss coming to Northwestern, I think what's been concerning has been the play of their young uh, young freshman, uh, Romeo Langford, who after starting off the season strong, I think put together maybe two of his worst games outside of the Duke game when he didn't play well either. The Northwestern game, only four for ten. Uh, was not aggressive. In the Purdue game, he was a mess. Uh, only four points. He had three turnovers in the first half. It really wasn't a factor the entire game. Uh, the Hoosiers, man, this was supposed to be a, a special year for them potentially. And this is Archie Miller. Was this his second year? Um, yes. This is this is not this is not the way it's supposed to be going. No, this is a, people thought this could kind of be a quick fix. And when you add a guy like Langford who's a one-and-done guy, you got to kind of cash in on that. They have not been able to do that. And despite the fact that they have a Jawan Morgan to go along with Langford, the Big Ten is a gauntlet. And to start 3-5, and five, it's going to be tough sledding for this team to find wins. You know, like this, it's not going to be, they got Michigan coming up, that could be another loss. They still got to play Michigan State twice. Uh, they got to play Ohio State again. Or once, I guess. Like, I don't know. This 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 could turn very ugly very quickly. They don't turn around. So I, you have to wonder. I mean, people in Indiana are already kind of wondering what are we doing with with Archie Miller. Mm. And it's still early. It's, it's early, but look, you lose five straight games in Big Ten play when this is supposed. I mean, you got the biggest recruit in Indiana sports his, in Indiana basketball. High school basketball history since, I mean, like Damon Bailey, you know, and Steve Alford, like, and Larry Bird. I mean, that, those are the names that were that were mentioned in conjunction with Romeo Langford. Yeah, Greg Oden. Got to throw, throw Greg Oden in there. Yeah, you got to throw Greg Oden. He obviously he didn't stay, so they don't care about him anymore. But, uh, like, it's it, it, it. This is obviously a huge disappointment. Um. Now, obviously, you also have to look at, look, Tom Crean did not start off amazing. No. He was six games the first year or something like that? What happened? I think he won like six games the first year. Yeah. eight games, might have had the double digits if they even. I don't know if they did. But the point being, they were trash when he first got there. But 
it was a much different situation. They were rebuilding from literally the ground up. All the dudes that Kelvin Sampson had left. Um, yeah, they were playing walk-ons. It was crazy. Yeah, they he, he had a lot of scrap pieces that he was trying to work with. And they, in some regards, were overachieving. So, uh, I mean, you want to give Archie Miller time. You know, he's they've done a decent job on the recruiting trail. He's proven that he can get guys by getting Romeo Langford. But this is... Not this is, this is not the start they wanted. He's not what what what, they, what people have to understand is look, Romeo Langford, talented player, but and I think a lot of programs realize this. Unless you're getting, there are like a few players every year that can by themselves change a program, make them contenders. There yeah, are very themselves. few guys, yeah, by themselves. You know, Indiana was not. A guarantee. They weren't a tournament team last year. They were maybe a bubble team this year without Romeo Langford. Mm-hmm. You you add Romeo Langford, who's a very good player in, in and of himself, you're probably still going to be a bubble team. He's a freshman who has talent, will have great moments like he did against Maryland on the road, the game they lost. But he's also going to have moments where he's not shooting the ball well, and now you're running through offense, running your offense through a guy that's struggling. And we see this time year in and year out, whether it's uh, Marco Fultz, Ben Simmons. I mean, those dudes were electric, and people were they still couldn't make the tournament. Right. So if you're gonna get if you're gonna get a guy like Romeo Langford, you have to understand, unless you have a veteran laden team like team like Kansas, who have been able to get away with bringing in Andrew Wiggins or Josh Jackson and still being great, because they already have Final Four type of teams before they get those guys. Or they get they already have second weekend teams that become final four teams by getting those guys. You or got, you have to do it the Duke model where you get five of those guys. Right. Or you do the Kentucky model, we get five of those guys. But you can't get one and think like that's why, you know, Memphis with Penny Hardaway that he's trying to get he's doing the Duke model or the Kentucky he's like, I gotta get five of these guys because just getting James Wiseman isn't gonna make you a contender. It barely makes you a tournament team. Yeah. It's uh and Romeo, as good as he is, is still – he's not even, to me, like the guy who's like the immediate impact 20 – like, you know, one of the best scorers in the country kind of guys. I, right. I, I think he's a guy that could actually be uh, better served to maybe stay more than one year as a one-and-done guy. I think he should probably stay another year. So if you're running offense through him, man, the rest of your team better be solid, and they're not. So – I, I, but because of that, I think that we got to be patient with Archie, hope that he can keep building stuff. But he can't – I don't know if this is a situation he should be building around one-and-done guys, which is maybe something he's going to learn uh, with this situation. But, yeah, they, they've been they've been struggling. I'm, I'm very concerned how this year is going to end for them, so I have them right now as trash. Let's get out of here, Kendall, with uh, Kendall's Court. What do we got? All right, man. Yeah, Kendall's Court. We talked about the uh, AFC Championship game uh, that was aired on CBS – uh, the Super Bowl uh, next week will be aired on CBS, which I'm very excited about because that means we will have another week of Jim Nance and Tony Romo, who I think are the best uh, tandem in all of football uh, during national TV. Might be they might be the best in all sports, but uh, at least pro sports. Um, but I. Jim Nance is good. I like Jim Nance because he, you know, he gives that that very like professional like 
you know, like a big fight kind of big game kind of feel. But um, Tony Romo is really a game changer for CBS. Uh, this is uh, well f- before I get into his whole situation. If I mean anyone that watched that game and listened to the broadcast knows that that guy was, and people have pointed this out. Obviously, he was literally calling out plays, especially late in the game, was calling out every play that New England needed to run, that they would run, and Brady knew exactly what to do. Uh, it'd be you know oh okay you know Edelman's motioning. That means it's gonna go Edelman off the left, off the middle, and Brady would go right to Edelman. Oh, Gronk's got it one on one. He's got to go to Gronk here. Brady would throw it out to Gronk. It'd be a first down. It was one of his. I mean, and that's the skill that he's had, you know, all, you know, in the last both these two years that he's been in the broadcast booth. But it, it, people are now starting to really catch on, obviously, because he's on the national stage uh, in the postseason and. It's a tremendous skill. Uh, it's something that, you know, it, it it's something that's overlooked because, or that could be overlooked given that there aren't too many announcers that do that or that can do that, really. And it's now to the point where there are people that are talking about, well, all right, his contract with CBS is up this year. And they have the right to match any offer. So I would doubt that he would, not doubt we're going to hear him on Monday Night Football next year or, you know, uh, that would be the only place I would imagine he would end up. I, I don't think he would end up at Fox, but um, there are, he's he's come out and said, "Yeah, I've had contract offers to play in the NFL next year," and th- there are people <laughs> oh, that have talked about God. should people be looking at Tony Romo as a head coach? I I don't know. You know, as a Vikings fan, I'd much rather have Tony Romo than Kirk Cousins as my quarterback. And that may sound crazy. I think it does sound crazy. But look, I went through Brett Favre. I went through two years of Brett Favre. You know, I, I, it's, I, I feel like year one would go good. Year two, I, I can't. I don't know if I can do two years of Tony Romo at quarterback. But you gave me one year and a developmental guy under him. Much rather have that than Cousins. Now we're stuck with Cousins. There's nothing we can do about that. But if I were a team, I'd also be making calls to Kirk Cousins. Now I don't buy the whole. You know, Matt Hasselbeck came out this week and said that there were teams that were, or a team called him to check to see if he was ready to play. That makes no sense. Matt Hasselbeck playing in 2019 is, or 2018 is literally the craziest thing I've ever heard. But I think he said it was a contending team. But regardless, um, but I feel like Romo, I think more realistically, though, I think as a coaching candidate makes plenty of sense. In today's NFL, where we're just getting quarterback coaches that know the game. I, look, I, I think Romo is a coach. I mean, what this guy was doing this last uh, Sunday, just like calling what plays were going to be. I mean, we've seen him do it, but like to do it in that big spot and to be yeah, spot with the energy on, that he brings as well. I uh, this guy, he, he's a he's a football savant and. To be honest, it's not like that's not something we didn't hear when he was playing. We, right. we when when he came up, uh, kind of out of nowhere in Dallas and took that job, that's what kind of they were saying that like, this dude is just he. It's hard to explain, but he just kind of just knows the game and kind of just has a natural skill that you can't teach. It kind of made him so bizarre that like a guy that 
savant-ish, for lack of a better term, could also, like, make these, like, crazy boneheaded plays. Um, but that kind of was part of his kind of, like, tragic dilemma with him. So right. it, it's kind of funny to see him at this point in his career now uh, broadcasting and showing off just how how much of the game he knows. Uh, I, I just, I'm always afraid of taking the guy from the booth and saying, oh, you'd be a great coach. I... There's just so much that goes into coaching beyond just like being able to call a game that I just still don't know. How does he relate to players? How does he get guys motivated? How does he get the team prepared for the week? Like, you know, obviously in game in terms of knowing what's going to happen and kind of predicting where uh, what certain trends are going to be happening throughout a game. He's brilliant. That's only one part of a million parts that go into coaching. So I, I would still be hesitant to say oh he needs to immediately be a coach but i he's already like he's he's one of the most successful uh color analysts in terms of early success that we've ever seen the guy that goes straight from the booth to the to straight from the from the field to the booth i don't know if there's been a guy that's been better from like yeah, the first no. year or two like I mean, you ever watched like like even like the great clive Frazier? you ever watched like his old old stuff when he was doing like nba on ABC in like 1980s before he was really doing the Knicks the way he started doing the Knicks. But he's totally different than how he is now. He wasn't the same. He wasn't as entertaining. Right. Like a lot of times it takes years for guys to kind of find their knack. He came in from day day one doing the stuff he was doing on Sunday. There are guys that that are like good in terms of like in studio that have gotten like I feel like T-Mac was good pretty much and it right yeah, off the bat. Charles, Charles Barkley was like great immediately. Obviously, Barkley, you know, Shaq, obviously entertaining. But like, I feel like Kobe, if Kobe did like what Romo was doing, where he was like a play by a color guy, I think Kobe would also be like great. But probably, that, you know, Kobe will he makes he made too much money to do something. Yeah, like he, that. Ain't, he ain't, yeah, he, he's not. Yeah, he not, would be in the, he a, made, I think Kobe a will one pay, day. That's a massive pay cut if he stops doing his business investments to be a color. Yeah. Although I always say why yeah, it may not color, but I always wonder like why can't he do that and be like in the studio? He probably could. Like he probably he could, but like why waste like why energy. waste the energy and time spent in like being involved with that when you could just count your millions? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and the, be, and if you feel like it builds his brand at some point, I think he'll think about it. If you feel like his name's not getting talked about enough. I'll tell you, Kobe will be a president of a team before he does that. I keep telling you. Yeah. He's going to run. I, yeah. I he's already had my NBA prediction. Team. He's going to succeed Ma- Magic as the running that, Lakers. That could happen. That wouldn't shock me. Um, yeah. I think that's a good place, though, to wrap today's show. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I certainly had a fun time chatting with you kendall and, and talking about this stuff as kendall said make sure you head to our youtube channel new generation media to get out, check out our new nba draft breakdown video uh comparing ja morant from murray state and rj Barrett from duke two guys that are being talked about as right now the number two uh prospect in this upcoming draft maybe they should be number one who knows but check out the video and let us know what you guys think leave a comment and leave a like on that video also, subscribe to our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast network, New Generation Podcast Network. You'll find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, 
Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at New Generation Pod and on Facebook, New Generation Media, and on Instagram at New Generation Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at EJ and on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart. That does it for now. We'll be back next week with more sports talk for Kendall. I'm EJ. Peace.